Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Phil Lavin, who's Development Consultant IT at Siemens. And today we're going to talk about managing supply chain risks, the role of digitalization and cloud technology. Now, I like to say that supply chain management is synonymous with, with risk management. And, you know, the risks are growing, you know, every day, everything from, you know, natural disasters to cyber uh, terrorism. Um, I, I also believe that many companies are falling short in effectively managing these supply chain risks. Um, you know, so where are the gaps and, and how can technology help? Uh, well, that's part of the focus of our, our conversation here today with, uh, with Phil. Uh, so it's, it's, it's great to have him on the program. So Phil, thank you for making the time to be with us today. No, thanks. It's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. So Phil, uh, you're a first time guest here on Talking Logistics. And, and like I always do, when, whenever we bring on someone new is the just to try to find out a little bit about how they even got involved in, in this whole supply chain and logistics industry to begin with. So mm. why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path and um, you know, how and why you got involved in supply chain logistics and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Siemens. Well, would it surprise you, Adrian, to, um, to understand that I, I kind of stumbled into logistics. Like a lot of people, in fact, most people I meet in logistics stumbled into it. I went straight from college to an export department of a, a large manufacturer uh, in this country that are now known as GKM. And the idea was to go around departments and learn skills. And I was in the export department um, and really quickly fell in love with it and, and couldn't quite work out why these guys are paying me for doing something that I, that I really enjoy. And that was many, many years ago. That's over 35 years ago. And then I moved on to, um, from manufacturing through to third-party logistics. It wasn't called third-party logistics those years ago. It was freight forwarding. And I stayed in freight forwarding for, for most of my career. Um, but part of my role, I was the um, corporate director of sales for a company called Geodis. And we were looking at uh, supply chain finance as perhaps a means of of leveraging a better deal for customers. And that moved me into a supply chain finance position, which I moved on externally then, but still in logistics and supply chain. And within supply chain finance, there was also software connotations and processes. So I, came, I became more involved in supply chain technology. And I now work, um, I, I now work for Siemens um, within their um, Postal Parcel and Airport Logistics Division, but I work for an organization within Siemens that Siemens purchased called Axit, and I promote their product um, AX4. So it's been a long, long road. I've been in logistics and supply chain for all my career. Um, and frankly, I could be an evangelist on it. I could go to schools and colleges and talk about it because it's always different. It's always good. It's always been a real pleasure and, and I hate to say it, but fun to work in this industry. No, that's, that, that, that's great. So certainly, uh, you know, a great, uh, a great journey there, uh, you know, from, from start to end and, and mm. continuing, obviously, I, I think a, a couple of things I, I stumbled myself into, into this industry. I mean, I'm a, I'm a materials science engineer by background and I, I worked in manufacturing and, and then, uh, you know, just through different steps in my, my career, ended up uh, doing uh, market research and consulting in this area. And it's been now, uh, you know, over 18 years for myself. And secondly, the last point you brought up, I think, is, is, is one that I hear, uh, particularly from young professionals today. I, I like to ask young professionals why uh, those that are just, you know, now that, now, now that there are actually university programs in supply chain logistics, you know, wh why they chose that as a career field. And 
I, I always go back to this one quote that I heard from a, a young woman a couple of years ago. She said, you know, I, I, I want to find a job or career where uh, every day was going to be different, right, and, and fun. And, and that's exactly what supply chain management in, is. You know, every day is, is, you know, some new challenge, some new opportunity, uh, you know, something exciting, uh, you know, happening in, in, in this uh, whole industry. And certainly, when we talk about risk management, that, that's a one dimension of it uh, that's always changing and, and evolving and, and keeps people on their toes. So, so, so let's, let's get right to the topic now. And, you know, like I said in my opening comments, you know, supply chain management is, you know, a risky business. And it seems like, you know, it's getting riskier by, by the day. I mean, what, what do you see as the biggest supply chain risks companies face today? Mm, interesting question. The, the, some companies would call it different reasons to have the, the, a big risk. Clearly, a, a very obvious risk is supplier failure. So if a supplier lets you down, it could be catastrophic. And I think it's probably a risk that is, is looked at seriously by the major conglomerates and corporates. And what they tend to do, they look at the almost the 80-20 rule. So they, have, um, they maximize managing the risks from the most important suppliers. And they make sure they have backup in case that goes wrong. And having backup means that the backup companies will be a second choice of supplying those similar or, or usually exactly the same components or parts. Uh, so they're, they're always on standby. But this process, if you think about the amount of companies in, the, in a, a corporate conglomerate, uh, let's say Kraft, for example, in the USA, look at their spread throughout the world. Um, it's a big ask, but that's probably the most dangerous risk that should be mapped out. But there are so many, many more risks in a supply chain, which today are more and more recognized, and it's becoming more of a, a, an industry to make sure that we face these challenges and that we're prepared to go in the future. You know, that's a, that's a great example, you, you know, you gave there, you know, in terms of, um, you know, risk from a disruption caused by, by a supplier. I mean, it was just, you know, last week uh, in, in the news where BMW had to shut down, you know, several of its production plants because it was, uh, you know, uh, getting delayed parts from, from Bosch. Um, but if you read the story, um, you know, Bosch said that it was because they had getting delays from uh, one of their suppliers, right? So I think part of the challenge that companies have is that they may have that good visibility, let's say, um, or they may try to get that good visibility from their tier one suppliers. But the reality is that once, once you uh, get past that, you know, the visibility to tier two, tier three, or subcontractors that they may not even be aware of, um, you know, that, that becomes part of the challenge, right? That's right. Absolutely. Um, it is. I mean, you think that this started, globalization is, a, is, is the main contributor, I suppose, or, or part of the, of the reason why you need to assess, assess risks so carefully. But when it came to um, sourcing from low-cost sourcing, so third-world countries, etc., where companies found they could get similar products, um, they were prepared to accept some levels, maybe you know, the quality not being so good, but the costs were so much more lower. But then what came with that was also the risks. And then you had companies that were buying from second- and third-tier suppliers in low-cost uh, uh, sourcing countries, and they'd found themselves a situation where they had an ideal replica or same product, but with it, as well as getting a low price, they had a whole bundle of new risks that a lot of companies hadn't even considered. And then they started manufacturing and importing and producing 
the same components with much much cheaper uh, 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 um, components to go with it. Uh, but what they never anticipated was all the problems that came with that. Um, so that really is, is continued and is continuing now. It's the reason why risk management is so critical with all organizations. Right, right. Great, great points. And, and then of course, you know, you've got, you know, the, the unexpected types of disruptions, which, you know, immediate like, uh, you know, an earthquake or, or a tornado that may, may occur. Uh, you've got, you know, risks along with labor, right? Strikes or, uh, you know, uh, th- things of that nature. So I think it's, it's if, if you were to kind of map out uh, all the different types of risks, uh, it, it truly is, uh, you know, something that unless you have some right, you know, the right processes and, and capabilities in place, mm-hmm. you know, it could be a, a daunting uh, uh, task. Um, so, you know, when it comes, again, to, I guess to that point, that leads me to my next question. I mean, when it comes to supply chain risk management, I mean, where, where do you see companies are falling short? Um, I think you've just, you've almost answered the question in, 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 in your question. I think it's failing to have a um, supply chain risk strategy. So many, many companies do not recognize the risks they're facing, mainly because things have only gone wrong in a small way and it's a way that they can manage and it's no big deal. Um, the attitude of it's not broken, they don't think about making it better. The big corporate companies in the main do have a risk management strategy. But when you think that a, a huge corporate could be buying from maybe, let's say he's buying from a thousand suppliers, and those thousand suppliers are equally being sourced by first and second, second and third tier suppliers, for example. The risks are now phenomenal. Um, the chance of something going wrong is almost a case of it will go wrong. So there needs to be a process to make sure that before you embark on employing suppliers, etc. as I said in my first question, you take an 80-20 attitude towards it. You map out the entire process of which one of these suppliers or rather the the 20% of suppliers that are going to support most of your business, how can you make them critical, more effective than anybody else? And that's really the way companies should be looking. They should be looking at using technology to do this so that they can make sure that there's absolutely no chance of any major disruption really harming their business. I mean, a disruption will harm business, but if you've got a significant mapping process and the ability to make sure that the backup is there, then the risks really are minimized. And we're talking at the moment just of supply chain risk on, on the um, really much on, on, on the upstream side of the business. If you look at the downstream side of the business, there are equally more risks that need to be looked at. And if you look at internal risks, you look at the amount of companies that have several parts of their business as separate entities. They might have had lots of mergers, acquisitions. They may have simply moved locations for better resourcing, better raw materials. But what happens there is people within the same company are not managing risks. They're not talking to each other. They're not sharing information. You've probably heard so many times, well, I know you've heard so many times on Talking Logistics about silos. Mm. Um, Silos aren't produced deliberately because we now have silos. Silos are there because people do their job. But they're not aware that a lot of their job is to pass on parts of the information to other, other parts of the supply chain. They don't see it as a chain. They do their role. And unless they're, unless they're sharing that information, then there will be the many, many chances where there'll be a disruption, and that's just internally. So I don't think I've mentioned you know, upstream, downstream, and internally, and I talked about thousands of suppliers in the first part. You, you don't have to have a great imagination to think you know, there is a lot of risk in this business, and there is a lot of risk in supply chain. 
And managing it effectively um, is the key to making sure that things run as smoothly as you possibly can. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like, I guess, to paraphrase a little bit what you said, I mean, in some, you know, in some cases, companies haven't effectively mapped out their supply chain, right? They don't really understand, you know, the universe of, of not only their suppliers, but their sub-suppliers and where they're located and, and, and things of, of that nature. So you really, you know, that's kind of a, found, a foundational task that companies should be doing, but many companies have not done or done to the, to the degree that they should. You know, we talked a little bit about visibility, right? And then having mm-hmm. that visibility um, you know, uh, across the supply chain, and we all know that there are blind spots or black holes in that visibility that exists. And that, again, that that uh, creates some challenges from a risk management standpoint. I think the third piece you talked about, particularly with the silos, is kind of this this lack of collaboration uh, that 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 exists not only internally but uh, you know between you know the business uh, you know, trading partners. That that becomes not only critical for trying to minimize or prevent disruptions, but becomes critical when a disruption does occur. How do you, you know, respond to it as quickly as possible, right? That's right. It's, um, it's where we come in, in fact. The, the business that I work for, um, Siemens Product AX4, is an open platform, a collaboration platform. And think back, I'm just going to go back to what you just said, early parts of, of your summing up my previous remark. Visibility, transparency is the key. If you manage risks... Put it this way, it's almost an equation, an algorithm, but it's not quite an algorithm, but let's say it's some kind of equation. If you're managing risks and you're mitigating risks, you're giving visibility. So one goes with the other, and, and one is a product of the, of the, of the former. Visibility is, is a product of the former. And visibility is about having visibility, not just, and you see it so many times, track and trace. Um, Visibility isn't just track and trace. In fact, it's a small component of visibility. Visibility is the ability to be able to share information with all the key actors and contributors and players, call it what you like, all the people involved in every aspect of your supply chain. And if you're giving visibility to all these people, there are so many areas that you don't need to then knock on the door of a silo because the information is already there. So it breaks down silos, it eliminates silos. Silos, in fact, though, with a good collaboration platform like AX4 that we have uh, as a product offering, enables those silos to continue being silos, but all the information they're working with is automatically shared and, and the collaboration is automatic. We're just taking the data from one to the other. And you also mentioned in your piece just now that digitalization is a key part of that. Well, that's how it works. So we collaborate both internally and externally by digitalizing data and taking that data from the various different systems and different uh, uh, processes. And it could be different legacy systems. It could be uh, different processes and software. And we make sure that all that information is available for the people that need it and the people that work on it. And they're both different. People that need it could be people in the field, salespeople. They need to just look at their phone and look to see where the consignment is or what the holdup is or, or what the track record was on the previous, the previous um, um, processes or shipments. They can do that automatically because that information has been shared continuously. So that's where, for example, in the market today, that, 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 that we provide a, the ability to share information. But in terms of managing risks in, in, in this environment, there are also companies out there that come from two different sides. There's, for example, just a small example is DHL. Not a small example, a very big company. 
Um, but they have a resilience 360 process, which they go to companies and say, right, before you look at new markets or, or even new cultures, we have a process here that will map all of the areas that we consider risky and we consider could be detrimental to your business in the future. So we're going to be part of your three or five year plan. And they have a points process that enables manufacturers to take a step back rather than jump in almost blind and then realize they've got problems in the future. And I mentioned another part of the equation is, is um, there's a Zurich Insurance, and I think they're the second largest insurance company in the world. And I applaud them for the very simple reason. They have a supply chain insurance product. And it's a software process that analyzes the risks in supply chain and the markets that you could be serving. But this process even looks at, um, it looks at risks that you mentioned earlier on, risks of tsunami, risks of volcano. Uh, um, and I won't even try and mention that volcano in, in Iceland or try and get the name out here. But that's what's happening today in the world. These risks are being recognized by service providers, not just the manufacturers. So what these companies, the service providers are doing, they're saying to the manufacturers, you carry on being global and you carry on with a motivated process of getting out there and expanding your markets. But the process of actually sitting down and analyzing the risks, we can take a lot of that heavy work from you. We can do a lot of that groundwork and come up with areas to give you much more and we get back to the same thing again, visibility and managing those risks. You know, great examples there. You, you touched upon a lot of different things there and you kind of touched upon what was going to be my next question, which was, you know, what, what was going to be, you know, what's the role of technology and digitalization, you know, in this? So it sounds like, you know, obviously from, from one, one extent is really bringing together all of the, the, the trading partners and stakeholders onto, you know, from, from my terminology, I call it a supply chain operating network, right? Bring, yeah. bring, bring all the participants onto a common platform so that you can facilitate the exchange of, of knowledge and information and data uh, you know, be, between every, everybody that needs to be involved, and particularly that's critically important when, it, when a disruption occurs. Um, you know, you, you also talk about, you know, third-party, you know, service providers that can help inform that process too. Um, I think what, what, what was interesting is that, you know, this really is a, a, you know, it really starts at the front end, right, in terms of how you design your supply chain and making procurement decisions, you know, really embedding risk management as part of the overall supply chain design all the way through ongoing day-to-day execution and have that be part of that, that DNA, uh, if you will, of, of, uh, of supply chain management. Um, you know, t- touching upon visibility a little bit here, um, I mean, do you see, I mean, one of the big buzz terms today and, and things that people are talking about is, you know, machine learning and, you know, predictive analytics. Um, do you see that as another area where technology and, and advancements along those fronts will help in this area? Um, I could say in the short answer, yes, uh, areas such as augmented reality, machines working with man, uh, intelligence, artificial intelligence, um, it's happening now. It's happening in, in most major companies where, for example, where robotics are, are, are working from data supplied by other robotics or software. So the, you can have almost, uh, um, I was going to say humanless, wrong word, but warehouses without people. Um, they exist now. The people are there purely to service the warehouse, not to provide the ability to load and pack goods into containers and then dispatch. This is all done automatically. So it's happening now and the future will be even more so. We, we look at lots of areas such as um, driverless cars. Uh, um, that's happening now. 
we we look at how transportation has moved on. We look at loading containers around ports, and in ports they have these maffies that pull the containers, you know, from one point to another point for loading onto a ship. In many ports, this is automated. It's done through software. There's somebody central. Now go back ten years, and there'd have been twenty truck drivers doing that. No, there isn't. It's automated. So this is happening more and more. Um, and the ability to manage risks within this process is becoming even more important because it's all managed by technology. It's all managed by a software platform. Um, and that's something that a software platform uh, will do. We would, as, a, as we as a company, as, as Siemens, have a process to manage all of these areas under one platform. We can put, connect all of the various parts of separate technologies and enable people to have a cockpit view of those processes. So, yeah, it's happening. It's happening right now, and it's going to get bigger and bigger. And I think companies, my own personal view is over, and I'd even say over the last five years, I think there was a dent when the crash happened in 2007, 2008. People started to take a deep breath when they looked at technology. Can we, can we move on a lot longer without improving our technology? Um, Technology was always something considered as we, you know, we don't have that budget because we're a bit tight now. We need to really consider things. Uh, but that's all changed. Companies are now realizing that technology has some tremendous savings. It can, it can give you a lot of value add. It can do a lot of bottom line savings. Um, it's there and technology is moving rapidly. So more and more companies are just watching all the time and thinking, yeah, we need to keep up to date and we need to try and be above up to date, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, you know, what I see as well is the bringing together, you know, what I hear from a lot of supply chain logistics executives is, you know, they need to make smarter decisions faster. And, and that rate of the rate of the pace of change is continuously accelerating. So, you know, part of that visibility, uh, part of the analytics, you know, is really bringing in as much data sources together to provide a, a smarter context, if you will. So I think one of the things I'm seeing, particularly with the risk side of things is bringing in things like weather data and traffic data and, and other data sources that may, you know, provide some uh, insights into potential risks, whether it might be, you know, labor related or it might be political related or it might be regulatory related. And all this data helping to inform along with the visibility uh, in terms of just where the physical movement of goods are, you know, provide that broader, you know, context. Yeah, you're right. And in terms of managing risks, it's, again, our ability to take the data from several partners in an organization and link it so that one person or one dashboard view can control that and see it. And there is so much data being produced out there to enable you to have a free-flowing, smooth supply chain. And there are areas that data is produced, for example, you could be measuring several thousand containers on a route, but Quite often, there are damages in containers. Things go wrong. Containers are broken. You can get tools today to put in those containers to make sure those containers, on an ad hoc basis, the whole route is measured. And then you've got an idea of culpability. Where did it go wrong? And by doing this, you can then decide, well, is that the optimum route? Is this the optimum service I should be using? But what you're doing, in fact, is simply managing and mitigating risks. And when you look at it from that point of view, there are so many more areas in supply chain where we do take an unconscious decision that we're actually managing risks. And this is where things are changing, where companies are making a conscious decision to manage risks. So I think that's going to be the future. 
So how do you, you, you know, ultimately measure and quantify the value of, of these solutions, you know, from a risk management perspective? Um, yeah, there, there are two ways, I suppose. There's, there's, when you're managing risks or if you're giving visibility and you're enabling people to have a better view of, for example, stock, uh, you're enabling people to control the delivery of stock, maybe an automotive to a line, so it's just in sequence, um, you're enabling them to reduce their stock. And that means they're reducing the cost. That, that, that's one area of giving people transparency. You're also enabling them to maybe redeploy people who are occupied in doing that type of role to do a more effective role in the organization. That's adding value to the organization. Those are two small areas. There are so, so many more areas of, of, of you could say that's bottom line. But then let's look at the C-level side of the argument, the executive level. And we now start looking at executive level would be shareholders, stock, equity, value, business value. Um, you move into this area where you're, for example, if you put in your year-end report the fact that you actually now have a very stable supply chain or risk management model in your organization covering the global companies that report through to you. And then step back and think of your year-end reports and what are you trying to do? You're trying to, attract, you're trying to attract investors. And an investor sees that type of thing and he has two choices. He has you as a company and he has a competitor who doesn't have that type of process or hasn't mentioned it. The decision is probably going to go to the, to the company that has that sort of process. So there's another area of, of, of increasing the value, increasing the equity value of your business. Um, that's what having a process and having the ability to look and play the long game will produce for your business. You know, that, that final comment you made in terms of linking it to, let's say, shareholder value and, and stock price and, 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 you know, those financial metrics. Um, you know, I think there was a study done. there was over a decade ago, but it was, I think, from Georgia Tech that kind of looked mm -hmm. at the impact of supply chain disruptions on those financial measures and particularly shareholder value and stock price. And it was, uh, it was fairly significant that companies that, that suffered some kind of supply chain disruption, whether it was their fault or, as we discussed earlier, uh, the fault of, let's say, a supplier or, or a business partner, um, or whether it was quality related or it was you know, a strike mm -hmm. or whatever the case might be, it didn't really matter. It had uh, significant negative consequences on stock price and uh, uh, shareholder you know, value. Um, so I think that I think there's a lot of education that needs to be done, uh, you know, at the sea level to really understand, you know, um, you know, the link between supply chain risk management and you know the the P and L, the balance sheet, and and things that are to your point of interest to uh, you know to investors. And I think that's that's ultimately what will get I think most companies, um, uh, you know, really embed supply chain risk management within their corporate you know, DNA when they, they, when they fully understand the, the, the ramifications of that. No, I, I think I, I agree completely. I think it's um, for the future. I think most C-level executives in, in large corporations now are highly qualified. They should be highly qualified. Quite often you find they're run by just an extremely clever entrepreneur, but he'll have a good team behind him to make sure that he's, he has the right people in the team. If he has the right people in the team and, and, and they're looking at using their experience and their educational values, um, many, many MBAs today look at this as a core subject and they push it hard. And coming along for a large corporation and, and looking at it from two ways, how can we add value to the business? How can we increase the equity value of the business? 
Um, they're separate subjects, but the returns can be huge. Um, and it's not only the, when you start looking towards, I, I could say, the intangible values, such as the equity value. Um, the importance here is also the integrity value of the business and the opportune values that are in that business. And that's where making sure that you, and I should really say, screen from the, from the, from the ramparts that you, you have this process and make sure that it's in your year-end statements that the chairman is making this point. Um, then I think you'll see companies taking a much more positive attitude about the type of risk they might take in investing in your company. Right, right. No, I get great, great point. Um, so, so how do you see, you know, you know, the state of supply chain risk management evolving, you know, over the next few years? I see it um, becoming a, a core part of, of most businesses because globalization is just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and globalization is getting bigger also, not necessarily because it's cheaper. That's how it started. It was, remember I said earlier on, it was low cost country sourcing. You can now get the components that are made in, in your area in the USA or in the UK where I'm from exactly the same and in some cases almost better quality from overseas. And the price differential is still better because the, the, the labor costs are, are lower and lower. But because of that, companies are looking to outsource more and more. And the more you start looking at outsourcing, the more you have to start stepping back and saying, there are risks here that we need to look at. And... I mentioned companies earlier on, you know, DHL and, 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 and um, Zurich Insurance. The risk starts almost, if we look at it from a very simplistic point of view, it all starts as soon as you set up shop and you're going to trade. And you're going to trade with a company from China. Um, uh, do you know much about this company? Have we, have we risk analyzed, uh, made a risk analysis of, of, of their trading record over the last two or three years? Do we know... Um, whether they are on any denied party lists or, or any lists uh, against slave labor or, or, or trafficking in, in, in animal products and things like that, CITES legislation. Um, if you don't do this, and from the very beginning you start trading, nothing will happen until somebody flags up that you, you haven't done this. And that's a very, very small part of where risks start. But believe me, years ago, this wasn't even considered. They were, they were just you know just not important now they are important and now you know with the current climate and the volatility in markets today simple things like getting a denied party screening check wrong could stop you trading for example i know for example in homeland security in the usa you do tend to be extremely strict on this which i applaud you for so if somebody trades and they are on a denied party list or they they they've got the the, the, the data wrong they could find themselves, firstly, without the trade completely, and secondly, answering the Homeland Security and the BIS questions about why they tried to attempt to get these products in there in the first place. It's amazing how many companies don't even consider this as a, as a risk as they start to look at globalization. They look at different areas. And then you go back to Zurich and you start thinking, what about that tsunami? What about that earthquake? What about that volcano? What about those floods? What about that location where we are thinking of placing or buying from a, a factory who are on that very large river, which is a source of their energy? What happens if it floods, et cetera, et cetera. So these are where, where now companies are entering marketplaces and they, they, they should be mapping this out. And I said earlier on the, 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 the Pareto's law, the 2080 part of it, 
make sure that wherever you're buying from, if they're a critical supplier, you've done your homework and you've, you've analyzed those risks. No, a lot, a lot of great points. I mean, I, I basically see the same thing, you know, in terms of, you know, companies really, uh, I, I think they, they've gotten away with kind of ignoring this or not taking this as seriously as, as they could in the past. I think the, the room for error moving forward is going to be smaller and smaller and, and, and really un, untenable anymore, you know, because like, as you said, the, 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 they're not going to be able to move goods across borders. Um, they're, you know, because they have to make smarter decisions faster, um, any kind of friction um, or, or delay in either moving goods or making a, a smart decision or making the wrong decision and, and then, you know, trying to recover from the consequences of that um, is really going to put companies at a disadvantage unless they, you know, get ahead of this and really, you know, try to uh, understand, you know, the people, the processes, the technologies that they ought to have in place to, you know, move move forward effectively with with uh, risk management. Um, you know, Phil, we're running out of time here, so I'm, I'm going to go right to my last question here. You know, as a way to wrap up, I mean, what what questions should, you know, supply chain and, and logistics executives ask themselves to assess whether they're, you know, have the right systems and, and like I said, and processes in place to, to effectively manage or even, you know, minimize or eliminate supply chain risks? Well, that is a difficult question because there are so many answers. Um, let me try and give you an example without mentioning any company names. I, I've, in fact, this has happened a couple of times. I've come across companies who, um, in the supply chain, they import a huge amount of, of cargo and they have demorage accounts. And the demorage is because cargo is stuck at customs. That says it all. Why? Why is it stuck at customs? What processes have you employed to make sure that one, when it goes towards customs, the necessary entries and paperwork are lodged beforehand in advance? Or secondly, the documentation is forwarded to the right people to check before the cargo gets there? Or maybe that cargoes are on cargo or whatever. Sometimes goods get stuck at customs for an immediate check. And that, that's fine. That might take three or four hours, whatever. Happens every now and then. It doesn't necessitate having a demolish account. But when these companies are doing it as a routine process in their organization, and they now who's paying for that? Well, the customer's paying for that because they'll add that onto their costs. So there are lots and lots of issues and questions. And I think you need to look at every aspect of your supply chain and map it out. And if that means the mapping that has to be put into a platform, then fine, put it into a platform and make sure that everybody can see that. And then make sure that whatever information you need, which will be identified as the key performance indicators, that these are digitalized, put into a platform and can be seen by anybody at any time when they need to make a report or find out how effective their processes are. But it's in the early days, it's the hard slug of mapping it all out and making sure you know, uh, understand your business, make the checks, speak to people. Um, and you'll find out, like I find out, what you have a demolish account. Yeah, that's interesting. Why do you have that? And, and there are many, many more things like that now, today, current in organizations. So even though it sounds as though we're moving and it's going in the right direction, there's a huge amount more to do as companies look towards globalization and increasing volumes. Yeah, no, excellent feedback and words of advice there. You know, basically, you know, ask a lot of why questions, question the status quo, right? Why, yeah. why do we have this? Why, why does this happen? And I think once you start peeling back the onion and, and uh, you know, uncovering some of the answers, that, that will lead you in, in, the, in the right direction to, to getting things, uh, you know, done right in this area. 
Well, Phil, again, like I always say at the end of all our episodes, we always manage to scratch the surface on, on these topics, but I think we covered a, a lot of good ground today. And I want to thank you for yeah, you know, making the time to share your thoughts. I think um, I'd like to say, yeah, thanks very much. I think the topic is so huge that, um, I mean, of course it is. There are many, many books and, 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 and programs about it, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I was glad to take part. I, I, I hope I was helpful. Oh, uh, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, we, you, you could probably devote a, a, a two-day conference just on this topic mm-hmm. I- itself. So, but, uh, you know, certainly as this continues to evolve, I'm sure we'll, we'll have more conversations uh, in, in the future. Um, I want to thank you, uh, those of you that joined us today. Um, if you are watching this episode on demand at uh, either the Axit website or on Talking Logistics and you've got a question or a comment for Phil, uh, you can post it there and I'm sure he, he would be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you all for joining us today and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day. Thank you.